Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, it used to be when it came to political headlines, you could pretty much count on left being left and right being right. But is that still the case today? Or have we entered some sort of bizarro world? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, it does seem like things continue to shift and that the political parties have become increasingly unfamiliar to those who may have belonged to them 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, in many cases, uh, some of those constituencies have switched places and priorities have also been shifted. Uh, Sam Lyman's the policy director at the Orangey Hatch Foundation. He has a great piece in Newsweek uh, this week called Political Realignment is Scrambling Party Lines. And he joins us on the phone now. Sam, thanks for making some time for us on a Friday. Thanks, Boyd. Thanks. Great to be here. Uh, so those who haven't had a chance to read your piece at uh, Newsweek just yet, uh, what is political bizarro world? Give us a little backdrop. Yeah, I'd love to. So for fans of the show Seinfeld, they might remember an episode where Elaine finds herself in the bizarre world. Essentially, it's a world where everything is the opposite of the world she used to know. So she has three friends, Jerry, George, and Kramer, and she comes across three new friends who are eerily similar but very different at the same time. So the bizarre world concept is this idea where what was up is now down, and what was left now is quite literally right. And so what I say in this piece is we've essentially – entered what I would call the political bizarro world. And around 2016, I think we could all sense there, the ground was shifting underneath us. But in the Republican Party today, you have a lot of policies that looks far more familiar in the Democratic Party of yesterday and vice versa as well. And in an interesting way, the parties have even switched constituencies. And I would even go so far as to say that they've switched positions in the counterculture as well. I think that's so fascinating uh, you, you talk about uh, how you've kind of gone from the elite country club Republican uh, to the, the Walmart Republican. Right, right, exactly. And so the Republican Party of just 10 years ago, really, it's also 20 years ago, people often thought of the country club stereotype of sort of the George H.W. Bush um, people who who would use, let's say, summer as a verb. They would have more than one home, just very elite, well-connected often white, but that doesn't really describe the Republican Party of today, Boyd. The Republican Party of today is more, let's call it the Sam's Club Republican or the Walmart Republican. It's the truck hat wearing Midwesterner who's actually voted Democratic in every election up until 2016. Things have just completely shifted. 
And so you have a Republican Party today that, unlike the Republican Party of yesterday, is much more defined by what I would call a multi-ethnic working class. Mm. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. And and you talk about the Democrats as well, that they've gone from uh, sort of being the, the, the Walmart, the blue collar, to suddenly now they're kind of the elite and the establishment. Exactly, exactly. The, or the Democratic Party today, it's many things, but one thing it isn't is the party of the counterculture. If you look at the Democratic Party today, it represents the very establishment that they used to rail against in a lot of ways. And you can see this in the numbers. If you look at FEC filings, uh, you have industries from tech to education, publishing, and media. They actually donated to Democratic candidates by a margin of about five to one in the last election. And so it's very interesting as well because business used to be firmly aligned with the Republican Party, but in today's shifting bizarre world, business has gone blue essentially. It's more, um, it's found a safer home in the Democratic Party, whereas again, the Republican Party represents more the interest of uh, everyday Main Street Americans, let's call it. Yeah. If you're just joining us, we have Sam Lyman on the Lions Policy Director of the Orangey Hatch Foundation. And Sam, I wanted to get to, to this part of it because I know it's an area that you all focus on every day, and that is the, the policy priorities. So as this bizarro world sort of plays out, uh, as things are changed within the two political parties, what does this mean for policy, uh, especially rolling into a real critical midterm in 2022? Yeah, definitely. So the policy implications are fascinating because in this last year alone, we've actually seen three major policy proposals from Republican senators that are much more geared towards helping out the working class and working class families. A really prominent example of that is Senator Romney's plan this last year, his uh, his family plan that would essentially offer direct cash payments to Americans who have children. Um, and then you also have Senator Hawley. He introduced uh, a plan that would essentially raise the median wage it's called the blue collar bonus. It would give a bonus to blue collar workers. Then you have Senator Cotton. He, along with Senator Romney as well, actually introduced a bill this last year that would raise the minimum wage and index it to inflation. And so that's the most fascinating thing about our current political moment is you have policies such as a de facto UBI or universal basic income to American parents or you know, policies to push raising the minimum wage. These are the kind of policies you probably would have associated more with the Democratic Party just 10 years ago, but they're very much at home in the Demo- in the Republican Party of today. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you, Sam, uh, what does this mean for some of the culture battles? How does that play out in all of this? Yeah, so I think that's the most fascinating component of this whole phenomenon is conservatism, which is the movement that we usually associate with, you know, pleated, plant, pleated pants, yuppies, Bill Buckley, it's weirdly found itself as uh, sort of in a countercultural position at this time. And that's a thesis I, I push forward in this piece is that conservatism, for all intents and purposes, has become the counterculture. And I think you see that manifest in many different ways. Um, a really good and interesting example is actually crypto. You know, crypto shouldn't be a partisan issue, but what crypto amounts to is essentially a countercultural financial movement. And you're seeing in Congress, it's starting to become partisan. Unfortunately, it shouldn't become that way, but it's fascinating that Republicans are the ones lining up behind the crypto movement. And with crypto, there also comes art. You know, there's crypto art and NFTs as well, which the purpose of those art movements are to challenge the existing um, established art movement. And who's behind crypto in Congress? It's usually Republicans. So that's just one fascinating component of it. But another one is what I would call sort of a blue state brain drain. And this was really accelerated during COVID. Um, you saw this mass exodus of Americans from big cities in San Francisco, New York, D.C., 
a lot of these people, they shipped out to red states like Texas, um, Florida, and let's talk about Utah. I think Utah itself is really a, it's a place of um, real intellectual ferment right now. Um, and that's why actually the Orangey Hatch Foundation, we fashion ourselves as a national think tank with Utah roots. And those Utah roots are important because Utah and a lot of these other red states right now, this is a, these are the places where a lot of the innovation is happening, whether that's tech or business or the aerospace industry, for example, in Texas. Um, what you're seeing is there's really just a lot of people, uh, let's call them refugees from blue states, who are coming to red states to set up businesses or to do art or to do comedy. And so, yeah, it's unusual, but conservatism today, I would argue, is more or less the counterculture, especially when progressive views have become so institutionalized in our businesses, in our universities, and in our media corporations as well. Uh, great insight. It's a great piece in uh, Newsweek. Sam Lyman is the policy director at the Orangey Hatch Foundation. Sam, appreciate your insight today. And again, great piece. We'll post this on our social feeds as well. Uh, and so much to think about in terms of how these shifts happen. Uh, you even think of the uh, Democratic Party is usually seen, seen as the party of the young. And yet you have Speaker Nancy Pelosi. You have Chuck Schumer as the leader in the Senate, President Biden. Uh, and then people like Bernie Sanders, and it's very much an older established movement uh, at this point. So it's really interesting, left and right, right and left, up and down. It is a little bit of a bizarro world. Uh, we're going to make sense of that bizarro world uh, as we roll through the rest of the night and uh, into the next year. So stay with us. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. <laughs> There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.